Open your Bibles with me, if you would, Matthew chapter 6, and you might put a note in 1 Timothy chapter 6 also, Matthew chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And I'm so out of the habit from being up here that I don't even have my fancy microphone, so I have to do it the old way. I'm sorry about that. Matthew chapter 6, lost those old habits. While you're turning to Matthew 6 and 1 Timothy 6, beginning this Wednesday and through the Wednesdays of October, we will have our Wednesday night Bible study, meal at 6, and the Bible study at 7, going through the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Uh, interesting books, Psalms, Proverbs, and some other things like that. Good books, and we're going to talk about the history and how to interpret them. Because usually when we think of the Old Testament, we think of history. And history is you just believe the story. But the wisdom literature is more parable and metaphor and some imaginary writings that are meant to convey spiritual truths. So we're going to look and see how sometimes we get into error by imposing a rigid system on particularly wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is for the most part poetry, so you look at poetry a little bit different. So anyway, we're going to talk about all those things. Also, while I'm talking about these Wednesday night things for the meal, this week is a big deal. Church is fried chicken. So when Lo, you want to come for that, we do need for you to sign up there so we can purchase the right amounts of food. And bring a side or a salad or a dessert or all three. Judy gives me a thumbs up. You don't have to bring all three. One or the other, a side or a salad or a dessert. And that way everybody have plenty of food, but we'll take care of the main dish. All right. Matthew chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 6, continuing in our series, God Helps His People. Each of these sermons has been a way that God has acted to help us in life. Sometimes, again, people will say, that religion really doesn't help you. It's nice to believe, but it doesn't really help you. Nothing could be further from the truth. So these sermons have been designed to show you how God helps us. So tonight we're gonna, today we're gonna talk about how God helps us by learning to focus on those things that are truly important. As always, we pray. We'll begin with prayer. I'll give you a few moments to pray silently, and then I'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your presence, for your gifts to us, for helping us, for encouraging us, for strengthening us and saving us. We thank you. Lord, we come to you knowing that in this world, many struggle. We think of the victims of Hurricane Ian, of course, and all the struggles. We pray, Father, that in the coming weeks and months, you would use your people to encourage them and to help them. We know we'll be taking up special offerings in the weeks to come for that. Help us to give generously. Use the service of others to help those in need. We pray, Father, that our nation would pull together, that our political differences would take aside for a few weeks, that we might focus on, yes, more important things, human life. 
We pray, Father, for our political leaders, those who have power over us, those in positions of authority. We pray that they might be given wisdom and discernment. We ask that they would use their powers with restraint and generosity towards others. Help us, Father. There are so many things on this earth that serve to divide us. Help us to pull together. You have blessed our nation. You created us. You gifted us with this constitution and the nation that we have. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be a nation that serves you. We know we can't force people to be Christian, and we wouldn't. But we pray that the church would be a strong witness for the gospel here. Use us as you can to save lives, to encourage, and to help. As always, Father, we thank you for those who serve others, those first responders. We ask you to be with them and guide them as they serve, comfort their families, be with those who are in the military to serve us that, in that way, comfort families in their losses. Father, we pray for peace. Ukraine is on our minds simply because it's every day and so outrageous. We pray for peace, Father. Help us. Help us as a people to avoid the horrors of nuclear war. We ask, Father, for the wisdom to act in ways that can serve as a good influence for others. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's difficult to get anywhere if you can't focus, isn't it? On screen is a picture of a little guy, and this isn't the actual guy I'm talking about, but he kind of looks like it. I didn't want to get a picture of the actual guy. The actual guy is named Dean, and he's just a cute little boy. He's in our childcare, and he's one of my favorites just because he's kind of an outrageous personality. He's 18 months old, so he's everything that you can think of with a, a splash of interest there. And he's just funny, and he's entertaining, and I look forward to seeing him every day. And earlier this week, I think it was Tuesday morning, he came in, and he was all full of something. And you know what I mean by that. And he was just on. And sometimes he gets out of the car, and he's not always a morning guy, but that morning he was on. And he was running and jumping, and his mom's very good about tolerating his moods and all those kinds of things. And she said, Dean, it's, it's time to go upstairs. And he, he waved at me and gave me a hug on my legs and, and waved and smiled real big. And we become good friends. And then he took his mama's hands or else his mama took his hand and she started to take him up the steps. And he, he can do steps sort of. Not great, but he can do them. And if mom holds his hand, he does pretty good. And uh, I, I turned away and then I looked back, and, and they had made it to the third step. And there's 10 steps, of course. And, and he was kind of stuck there on that third step. And he was dawdling, and he noticed that there was a dead bug on the step. And he had to stop and turn, and turn down and pick that up. And, and Mom swatted his out of his hand. She goes, hey, Dean, come on, come on. And you got to focus now. And she said, you got to focus on the steps. And he looked at her and smiled real big. And I made the mistake of saying something. So then he turned and looked at me and he had to smile again and wave at me and say bye-bye and all those kinds of things. And I'm sure she appreciated my help there. And uh, so she, she said, Dean, come on, we got to focus. We got to get upstairs. Mama's got to go to work. You got to focus on the steps. She said that word again. 
So I watched and I shut my mouth and tried to be not a problem. And as I watched, he made a wake, uh, one step up and then the garbage truck came by. And there is nothing more attractive to a little boy than a garbage truck. There's something about a garbage truck. They're loud, they're smoky, they're smelly, and there's all kinds of mechanical commotion going on. And they interrupt everything. And all the kids are always mesmerized by the garbage truck. Either the green one or the red one, doesn't matter. But they have the ones that come and, you know, they have that big arm in front and it stops and it reaches and picks up and all that commotion. And Dean was mesmerized. And everything stopped. Mama has tried to fight him over the garbage truck before, so she knew she couldn't win that battle. So she looked at me and smiled and sighed, that sigh of tired mamas everywhere. And finally the truck pulled on, and he looked at her and smiled, and he looked at me and smiled and waved again. And she said, Dean, come on, let's focus on the steps. So he looked at me and smiled and waved real big. And he turned around, and then I got out of there, and they finally made their way up the steps. And I heard her say one more time, you got to focus on these steps. Come on, mama's got to go to work. She had to teach him, and she's doing her best to teach him to focus on those steps because there are so many distractions. And it's not that the distractions are bad. Bugs and trash trucks and preachers being friendly, those are all good things. But they keep you from going where you are supposed to be going. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? I had to learn that morning that I was one of those distractions and I had to just shut my mouth and get away so Dean could focus on his steps and get on upstairs so mama could go to work. And she smiled real big, we're friends and all that, so it's a good thing. But I think about him and I see him every day and I see other mamas doing the very same thing. But interestingly enough, she used the word focus, I think it was a total of four times that morning. Come on, you gotta focus, you gotta focus on the steps. And she didn't grab his face or anything, but she might as well have, it might've worked a little bit better. He had to learn to focus to get those steps out of the way. Focus is important, isn't it? You know where I'm going with this, you're smart. If you don't focus on the task at hand, you can't get it done. Interestingly enough, Jesus understood that. Even though he didn't say the word focus, you can see in the Sermon on the Mount, the section we're going to read, that that's exactly what he was talking about. Follow along with me if you would. Matthew chapter 6, I'll read verses 19 through 24, then drop down and read verse 33. Beginning at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now drop down to verse 33 if you would. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Jesus talks about being focused, about developing a focus, about maintaining a focus on a life of faith and righteousness. And one of the ways that God helps us is he guides us and directs us to that which is worthy of our deepest devotion. And on screen is this idea that our faith and our faithfulness in Jesus is the one thing in life 
that is absolutely worthy of your deepest devotion. There are some things important and worthy of devotion, yes. But this one thing, no doubts, always worth it. You will never waste your time in acts of devotion and in a life of devotion to Jesus. There's this eternal temptation from people to try to find a good life in every other way imaginable, isn't there? Sometimes it's career. Sometimes it's in extreme sports or things like that. Sometimes it's in family. Sometimes it's in uh, purchase of equipment or goods or for motorcycles or guns or cars or clothes or shoes or whatever. We have this thing in our head that if we just get this, if we just accomplish that, then we'll be satisfied in life. And then sometimes we're surprised. I came across this interview with a guy named Brad Pitt and his picture is up on screen we can get that. And you know Brad Pitt. I know him. You know him, right? No. But you know who he is. Seems like a decent enough fellow. Has a lot of problem with the ladies. He's supposed to be one of the sexiest men alive. I don't know about that. Doesn't appeal to me. But you know, one of those things. And seems to be a truly nice guy. He's, if you read a list of the beautiful starlets he has been with, he's been with them all, seems like, been married to some of them, and on and on it goes, has kids with Angelina Jolie and those kinds of things. In this interview, they talked about how happy he must be, and he said some things that were really pretty surprising. He told them, I say all this, we got to find something else, because at this point in time, we are heading for a dead end a numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of the spiritual being. And I don't want that. They were talking about how the nightlife and the, the good life that he lived may not be as good as they thought. And then he said this. They asked him, well, what do you think the solution is? He goes, hey, man, I don't have those answers yet. And he said this. I'm the guy who's got everything I know. But I'm telling you, once you get everything, you're just left with yourself doesn't help you sleep any better and you don't wake up any better because of it pretty amazing isn't it you know we think I would be happy if and this guy has done it all career income the ladies fame everybody likes him he's a nice guy all kinds of possibilities in his life and he still says there is this numbing of the soul even though he has everything Jesus knew about that numbing of the soul. He had seen people pursue those things that were in and of themselves fine, but they did not have the ability to give life. So how can God help us? How can Jesus help us avoid this numbing of the soul, this life that seemingly should be satisfying but isn't on screen is where Jesus' words begin to make sense. Because he challenges what you think will give you life. Don't value those things where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. In other words, the stuffs of this life that you think are so valuable really are worthless. Every night on the news, I've watched what's going on in the Ukraine, as have you. 
And then we've seen what happens in the south on Florida when a big hurricane comes in and literally washes everything away. Literally. One woman in one interview said, I have nothing. My house is not even there anymore. She couldn't even find her dog. Everything that meant anything to her was taken away by a storm. Jesus was saying what everybody knew but didn't want to hear. The things of this world just can't last. They just can't. It doesn't mean they're evil. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with trying to acquire those things, but they can't last. And because they can't last, they can't satisfy. And Jesus was simply reminding us of that dirty little secret that we sort of know, but we don't want to think about. We don't want to think that all these things that are so important to us just can't produce what we want. Because really, I think most people want the same things out of life. They want to be happy. They want to have the things, the nice things, and, and drive nice cars, and live in a nice home, and all those things. You know, all want the same. We all want fried chicken, right? And all those kinds of things. But none of those things have the capacity to do more than just temporarily give you joy. That's all they're designed to do. The things of this world are not designed or created to make you happy. Regardless of what the commercials say, regardless of what the marketing experts do to manipulate you to buy their stuff, you cannot be satisfied for very long by the things of this world. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying here. Listen, no matter what it is, somebody can take it away from you. Instead, in verse 20, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, meaning those things that are of God, the godly things, the things that God says are important, those are the things that can last. Those are the things that are worth it. Interestingly enough, again, in the Ukraine, there is this desperate sense of needing people to find their family. Have you noticed that? They understand. And sometimes they will say, you know, I've lost my house. I've lost my stuff. I don't even have any money more. But they'll say, but at least I have my family. And that's one of those things, the treasures in heaven that God teaches us. God helps us by understanding that the most important thing on this earth, other than following Jesus, is making sure that your key relationships are intact. So in other words, make sure that you focus on those relationships and you don't lose those because everything else can be taken away. Those relationships, so those are those things that have the capacity and the ability to give you joy. Stuffs, people can take them, but those relationships and the memories of those relationships, those really do last. And then there is that relationship with Jesus that no one can take. The one sad thing about family relationships is they will end, won't they? Because we all die. But that relationship with Jesus never ends. Make sure that you value those things that last. Nothing maudlin. Jesus isn't saying anything negative about everything else. He's just saying, listen, most things, they're not worth the trouble. And if you stress yourself over getting those things, and you know what I'm talking about, if all you care about is those things, if you sacrifice the lasting things to get the earthly things, you lose You've been manipulated. You've been misled, which is exactly what the evil one wants to do. And Jesus isn't condemning the things of this world. 
He doesn't condemn cars, motorcycles, clothes, shoes, careers, none of those things. No condemnation. Those are gifts from God sometimes. He's just saying, listen, they can't last. They're not designed to last. Instead, value those things that do last. Make sure you focus on that which is important. I was watching a TV show the other night, and I, I tend not to like a lot of the mainstream shows, so I surf in the channels, and I saw the word alone on the menu. Anybody ever seen that TV show, Alone? It's really pretty interesting. What they do, it's a one of those competition shows which I normally despise because they're contrived, but this one's really interesting. What they do, they take a guy or a gal, and there's usually 12 contestants, and they drop them out in the absolute wilderness, and they get to take survival food and stuff like that, and they give them a camera, and they have to talk into the camera every night and give a report, and they drop them off in the wilderness and leave them. And the contest is, how many of you can last and the one that stays out the longest without dying or killing themselves wins. And what happens is, after three or four weeks, it gets pretty hard. And, and they don't get to take a lot of food or anything like that. They have to learn how to fish and hunt animals and things like that. And they don't get a lot of clothing and things like this. And, and this was show focused on people that had been dropped in Newfoundland. And the weather was cold and rainy, about 40 to 50 degrees, so not freezing yet. But it was miserable. Every scene was worst case scenario weather where it was just miserable. Most of the contestants at this point, like 45 to 50 days, they were struggling and they were tapping out and they had a phone and they could call and they would be rescued, but they would lose the game. At, I think it was 97 days, there were only three left. One of them wept into the camera he prayed to God that God would rescue him. God, and he said this, it was so funny. He goes, oh God, please make it rain fish. He was starving and he hadn't eaten in days and he couldn't catch him. Make it rain fish. And of course, God ignored that one. That would be too weird. So he tapped out. But the guy that was winning at day 116, I don't know, I didn't watch the rest of the show. I had to go to bed. The guy that was winning at day 116, he had mastered the skill of fishing and eating fish every day and he had been able to do that he had eked out this survival scheme and he was able to eat he said you know and he's talking to his camera he said I can survive here I sleep comfortably I've got a good home and he showed it, it was a ransacked thing with tarps and wood beams and things he said I'm, I'm dry I'm warm I have all the fish I can stand and it's not too bad I like it and I could stay here a long time I'm going to win this he goes but I'm so lonely. And then he said, these are funny, you know, guys get emotional with a camera and he was starting to cry. He goes, I just, I just want a hug. He was desperate. He had everything he needed. In his world, he was wealthy because he was healthy and eating and he was clean and dry and all those things. I just need a hug talked about his wife and family and all those kinds of things and of course you wonder you know if that's so important why are you out there in the middle of this wilderness anyway but there's money to be had and it makes for a good tv show but I found that interesting that this guy who really had it all was at the top of his game then was so desperate for human touch the treasures that satisfy see Jesus helps us because throughout scripture we're taught that we were created 
to gain nurture and sustenance from other people. That we were created for relationships. We were not created to be loners. We were not created to be off by ourselves, even though when the, sometimes that is the easiest. He creates us to gain nurture and strength and sustenance from others and from him. On screen is this other idea that when we gain this strong focus on faith, then God can guide us. Look at verse 22 if you would. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. All cultures have this understanding that the light of life enters you through your eyes. And it's kind of a mythical understanding because ancient people didn't understand how eyes work and all those electrical signals think. And, and Doc, you know, the eyes is this wonderful piece of creation, all those kinds of things. Ancient people didn't know anything like that. They just knew that if something caught your eye, it shaped you. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And we use that phrase, it caught his eye. I remember the day Tammy caught my eye. Now, I grew up with Tammy, my wife, just a dumb little girl. That's all I ever thought. My sister said, Kevin, you need to be nice to her because she's going to be beautiful someday. And I said, gross me out, you know, and all those things. And we got older, got to high school age, and she still didn't interest me at all. And it just, you know, I don't know, understand, guys or gals don't understand all that thing, until one day, it was about 9.20 on a Sunday morning in Sunday school, and she caught my eye. And folks, for me, that was it. Haven't seen another woman since. She caught my eye. And I began to change my behavior because I was an obnoxious, disgusting boy at that time. And I knew Tammy would never date an obnoxious, disgusting boy. And she as much told me that. And I got the word. But because she caught my eye, I began to change. Because I liked that little girl. I didn't know about that little girl, but I, she caught my eye. And that began to transform who I was. Long story short, she married me. We lived sort of happily ever after. You know, the whole deal. She caught my eye. And I changed. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Whatever catches your eye, whatever captures your imagination, shapes you. It could be a person, it could be a hobby, it could be music, it could be math or anything. If it catches your eye, captures your imagination, it begins to shape you and form you and sometimes transform you. So Jesus is saying here, he's helping us, listen, Make sure that what catches your eye is that which lasts. Not all hobbies last. Not all possessions last. Make sure, and you can choose this, if something catches your eye, you don't have to follow it. You don't have to. You can control that, you know. It's, it's very difficult, but you can control what catches your imagination. And be careful. And Jesus is saying here, make sure that what you focus upon, what catches your eye, is something that you want to invest in. Examine yourself. So there's this idea that you can look within yourself and you can see what has captured your attention. You can see how you are investing your life. And so you do that. And so wise people will begin to look at their life 
and take stock of who they are and where they are and what has shaped them. And sometimes you'll hear someone say, you know, I looked at myself, I didn't like what I saw. And so I began to make a change. I watch a lot of weightlifting videos and those kinds of things. And I, I hear that all the time. And some guy will say, I was 40 years old and had a belly like a, a truck tire and all those kinds of things. And I looked myself in the mirror and didn't, want, didn't like what I saw, so I changed. And you have all those success stories of guys who lose weight and lift weights and all those kinds of things. You can change who you are. So Jesus says here, what's your focus Paul wrote this very idea to Timothy. On screen is a passage of scripture. Read this with me. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Paul was talking to a young pastor. Now we don't know if the young pastor was struggling or, or whether or not Paul sensed that the people in the church were struggling, but he was teaching Timothy, the young pastor, listen, you have to teach people how to live. You have to teach people how to focus. Just like my friend, the mama with the little boy was teaching him how to focus. This is how God helps us. He teaches us to focus, to invest ourselves in those things that last and can produce. So on screen are some things that came up in this passage to Timothy. Number one, make time for worship and study. This is how God helps you. It doesn't sound like it, but one of the things that God does is he teaches you as human that you are created for worship. There's something instinctual where we know that there's got to be more than this. And there is. Worship is where you stop everything and you focus upon that which is greater than yourself. God himself. Worship and study of biblical material and those things, those things are essential to shaping who you are. So make time for worship and study. You came to church today. Good for you. It is beautiful outside. Have you ever noticed that Sunday mornings are the best time to sleep in and drink coffee at home. You ever notice that? When you skip church, and you do, isn't it great? There's something evil about that, isn't there? And here we are at worship. This is the best way for you to spend time. Stay home occasionally, I get it. Worship, though, is really important. Support ministry with works and generosity. Not only give offerings, that's part of it, but it's the idea of investing yourselves in the lives of other people. I said earlier that over this next few weeks, we're gonna take up a special offering for those that are victims of Hurricane Ian. This is something that God wants us to do. We're fortunate. We live in the show me state. We don't have that stuff. We only have tornadoes and those are okay. But you know, hurricanes are disasters, aren't they? And people need our help. So we're gonna have a chance to share what we have. So I encourage you to give generously and we'll take up those offerings in the weeks to come. Then finally, humbly honor God with your life. Recognize that what you want isn't really all that important. The fact that it might make you happy today may not be the best way to invest your life. Humility 
recognizes that what God wants for you to, for you is better. Father does know best. And when you do those things, God helps you in this life. He won't necessarily give you everything that you want, but he will give you peace and fulfillment. On screen is a closing thought. A long-term focus on your faith can guide you each day and allow God to use you to bless others. The choice of faith, following Jesus, is always worthy of your best effort. It's more than just being a good person. It is being a good person focused on that which is bigger than you, the one who is God. Jesus wanted us to remember this, so he said, whenever you get together, remember who you are. And that's what he was saying, not just eat, not just remember Jesus, he wanted that, but remember who you are. You are follower of Jesus, one who has learned to invest in those things that are eternal. When you take this meal, you eat bread, symbolic of Jesus' flesh. Then you drink wine, symbolic of the blood of Jesus. Jesus wants us to remember, he helps us to remember that we are Christian. We're not just nice people with a religious bent. We are Christian people who follow the resurrected Christ. I'm gonna ask that the deacons that are helping would come and get in their place today. As the deacons come and get in their place, we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll take part in this communion. If you follow Jesus, join us. If you wanna follow Jesus, join us. It is invitation to all to follow Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you. You love us. Help us to love you back. Thank you for this life for those things which last. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you join me, please? Paul tells the story. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul continues. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul said this. He explained, For as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you take this bread and wine, you are explained to people that this means I believe in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. I am Christian because of that. Great way to witness, and that was exactly what it was intended to be. Follow Jesus. Invest in those things which last. Make those choices that will honor God because your life will be better, and you will be better because of it. Won't you stand with me? Nate's going to lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. Make those decisions that will allow Jesus to lead you. If you want to make those public, you can come forward as we sing this last hymn. Sing with me. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of 
of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Dave, would you come and lead us? Depart now in the fellowship of God the Father, and as you go, remember, in the goodness of God you were born into this world. By the grace of God you have been kept all the day long until this very hour. And by the love of God fully revealed in the face of Jesus, you are being redeemed. Amen. Amen.